The other day, uh, at a Little League game, our daughter Emmett gashed her leg uh, doing some sort of acrobatic maneuver on the bleachers. So we've been talking a lot lately about scars and skin. Trust me, landings were stuck. Butterfly bandages were purchased. Everything is okay now. Emmett was here. But we talked about how scars can come in all sorts of different colors and how some scars can even change colors over time. Some scars are really tender and still hurt. Some are tough. Some can be made tough with massage and a little bit of vitamin E or something like that. Um, some scars are badges of honor, like the scar on my side I have from diving into third base with my only career triple sophomore year in high school. Yeah, that's right. I was not fleet of foot. Uh, that's not how I made my money, and I didn't make any money. Uh, or the scar on my ring finger that I, caught, that I caught from catching a baseball through my mom's windshield. I'm sure I caught the ball. I know I threw it up to myself. So, <laughs> On Mother's Day, yeah. My brother can attest. You're probably sensing a theme. Most of my scars are baseball-related. I need to get out. Um, some scars, though, events, memory of pain or trauma, how you got them. Cigarette burns that remind you of childhood abuse. Um, mastectomy scars, that time you slipped on the ice and caught a gash. Some are kind of bittersweet, like stretch marks and C-section scars. Scars tell stories no matter what they mean now. They don't let us forget. They tell stories of hurt and of some measure of healing, even if that healing is incomplete or not yet complete. They don't let us get away with forgetting. We'll never forget the stove that we touched or the people that came to our side when we were in the hospital for that long season. Things like those little greenish glass shards from when you have a busted window, they keep emerging every time you vacuum your car. They also never let you forget. As much as scars make us remember the past that we've, some of us would care to forget, most of Jesus' disciples, I think, wished for scars. They, they gave up hope. They scattered to the wind, except for some of the women that had surrounded him and bore him up in both his life and now his death. They hadn't tended to Jesus' wounds in order to heal them. They tended to his body in order to give it a more reasonable and dignified burial. As one of my teachers once said, if you can't make it happy, at least make it beautiful. And I think they were trying to do some of that work. Scars in this case would have been a good and beautiful thing. They would have meant that Jesus had grown old and had gotten through it, but he didn't. They would have traded burial clothes for bed dressings in a heartbeat, but there was no heartbeat to be found on Saturday. The creed puts it cold and clinically. Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried and descended to the dead. 
of all the words and all the theology and all the other parts and all the names, we only get crucified, died, buried, descended. Not a lot of words necessary. We've been in this season talking about the Psalms of Ascent and getting this vocabulary, this language of journey in Psalm 130's words, known as the De Profundis in Latin, give voice to the profound pain and sorrow of this hopeless place of wounds but no scars. Out of the depths, the psalmist cries, and we hear Jesus' voice in that cry. And every time we hear that cry now, we hear an echo of that cry. In whatever language or whatever accent or whatever dialect, in whatever time zone, in whatever place, and for whatever reason, we are hearing Jesus' voice crying to the Father, and this is what it's saying. I cry out to you from the depths, Lord, my Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears pay close attention to my request for mercy. If you kept track of sins, Lord, my Lord, who would stand a chance? But, and that, that, that word always interrupts, but forgiveness is with you. That's why you're so honored. I hope, Lord, my whole being hopes, and I wait for God's promise. My whole being waits for the Lord. More than the night watch waits for morning. Yes, more than the night watch waits for morning. Israel, wait for the Lord because faithful love is with the Lord because great redemption is with our God. He is the one who will redeem Israel from its sin. This psalm of ascent is a psalm of despair. It becomes an Easter psalm. As Jesus plums the depths of sin and death, as Jesus has cried out with us, as Jesus has cried out for us, and in so doing, he has found the bottom of the human experience and brought all of his godness with him there. He has set the floor. It can't go any lower. So now he can bring hope and not despair. He's been there. He's done that. When answered by God... And God's answer came in words, but it also came in the powerful word that creates and brings about new creation. God raises Jesus. God, God's spirit brings him out of, of those depths and brings us with him in all of his and in all of our humanness. His whole body hopes. His whole body. And this body, at this point, is not some pristine whole body. It now bears the scars of his death. <laughs> Jesus now shows us what a perfect body looks like, what the, the, what the new template is. It's not airbrushed. It's not gym chiseled or perfectly able. It's not like poolside bronze, though, side note, it's also not white. <laughs> Jesus' body is scarred. It bears scars. Believe the good news. Scars bear witness to God's healing and God's fidelity. That silence is God listening, waiting to respond. This scarring, which again is a form of healing, 
it happened in this waiting. Jesus waited for God's promise. That's what Saturday is about. It's a whole lot of nothing. It's a whole lot of waiting. And then Jesus embodies God's promise of, quote, great redemption with God, redeeming Israel from all its sin by breaking death's grip on the old reality and creating a new and permanent and durable, more real reality. Death is broken. Life with God now can never be broken. And scars bear witness to that experience of death that is also an experience of death's defeat. So friends, these baptisms that you witness, that maybe you're remembering your own baptism, maybe, maybe you've thought for the first time today, I want that. I want to do that. I want to be that. Please talk to Pastor Meg or me or someone, and, and we can get you wet. <laughs> but these baptisms, they follow that path, that trajectory of Jesus. Not just responding to Jesus' call, though Sarah and Titus have done that, but also crying out from the depths, hoping in the Lord as they were lowered. They were, they were hoping in the Lord as they were lowered into that cold water. And they were waiting, waiting for Jesus, waiting to be lifted. Even just for a moment, they were waiting for deliverance. They were waiting to be raised up, brought up. They were neither left to drown nor to flail, but they were brought up to walk in newness of life. Newness of life, not solo, but with God's family. To great applause, to a family meal around this table. Think of, think of all the more like dignified rites of initiation than getting publicly wet and then simulating being drowned in public, right? There's something to this baptism thing. This Jesus life is so immersive that we have to be immersed in it, I think. That we, we have to get the whole experience. We have to get goosebumps and chills on our skin because we have joined Jesus with skin in the game now. And because in Jesus, our skin, even and especially our scarred skin, will be raised, will be preserved, will be perfected. So out of depths of despair, Jesus has held out the possibility for a deep and rich and everlasting life. So the call is to join him in that life to hope with him and to let him hope for us when it seems like we don't have much hoping left, to let him be our hope, and to learn to wait on the Lord for redemption and vindication and healing and scarring and surprise. So I want to close with Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans 6 because, well, you quote someone when you can't say it better. And so this is me quoting one of my favorites, also paraphrasing one of my other favorites. <laughs> Romans 6, 3 through 11 in the message says, that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, 
It is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by the Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Jesus, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer captive to sin's demands. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took down death with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you, and God speaks your mother tongue. You hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Will you all pray with me? That's what you did. You... died, and in dying, broke death, and you were raised, and in so doing, you made life possible, and you joined us to that, and we give you thanks. Amen.